Hello and thank you for joining us. You're listening to Words of Welcome, the teaching ministry of Welcome Baptist Church, Heathfield. Thank you so much for having me this morning. Uh, I just want to start by praying, if that's okay. Lord, thank you for bringing us together. Thank you for your presence with us this morning. And I pray that through the things that you've put on my heart over the last couple of weeks with this, anything that is of you that we need to hear will stick. Any of my foolishness or idiocy will be blown away as quickly as it comes, Lord. But we pray that you will be at the forefront of all that that we do with what we think of, Lord. Amen. So we're looking at Philippians. I'm going to be focusing on chapter one, verses three to six. But I'm going to read out from verse one because it's the, the introduction of this book. It's just the first part of it. So Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus to all God's holy people in Christ Jesus at Philippi, together with the overseers and deacons, grace and peace to you from God, our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God every time I remember you. In all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. Being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. So Andy gave us a bit of an overview and an introduction to this letter last week. And I realized, I think beforehand, I've already made a mistake that I didn't want to fall into. I called it a book. Now, this isn't a book. This is a letter. We know there's quite a distinct difference between letters and books. If you read a book with some instructions in it, you might think, oh, that's that's quite interesting. You might pick and choose what you kind of thought of it, what maybe you followed, what you didn't. But if someone wrote you a personal letter, if someone wrote to me saying, Andrew, I've got some instruction for you. I've got some advice for you. I would take that to heart so much more because it's not a general thing. And I think if we read this just as a book, it makes it a bit abstract and maybe a bit removed. Whereas if we see it as a letter, we get something more. We get far more of the personality and the person who is writing this, Paul, as well as the people he's writing to. Now, I don't know who enjoys getting a letter here, but I love getting a personal letter. And it's quite a rarity these days, isn't it? That you get an envelope on your doormat and you see, you try and kind of decipher, oh, I don't know if I recognize that handwriting, or maybe it's a really familiar handwriting. You think, oh, great, they've written to me. I used to love getting letters from my granny and I could always tell it was from her. I recognized her handwriting, something that I knew she'd spent some time over. It shows care and attention. It shows affection writing a letter. And, you know, she'd write to me. She'd tell me who had won the games of Scrabble over the last few weeks. And she'd tell me about what she'd had when she went out for dinner. Things which weren't maybe mind-blowing to me, but it was so nice getting those sorts of letters. And I still love getting letters now, even though it's a rarity, because we go for the quick type of communication, don't we? We go for the quickest methods possible. That's one kind of letter I get. I get another kind of letter, which I don't necessarily enjoy so much. Letters from the taxman, bills coming through the post, the very official and formal. Because again, most of this we get on email. But if there's something really important, we'll still get it through the post. Letters take a bit of effort to write. So they're sent with a purpose. I don't know how much a a second-class stamp is today. People complain that they're expensive, but they're not so much. Paul's letter that he sent to this church in Philippi It's hard to do exact maths on this, but they reckon maybe cost about £800 just to write it. That's excluding the postage costs, the messenger to take the message that he had written to this church. £800. 
You don't write a letter like that to share the Scrabble scores. Paul doesn't include any details of any card games he's been playing with Timothy, who won Monopoly last week. If you're writing a letter that it costs so much, there's got to be a real reason for it. There's got to be real purpose behind it. And as we go through this letter, we will see some of that. I said about receiving letters myself and my response and, you know, trying to decipher even from the envelope. I wonder how the church responded when they knew they had a letter from Paul arriving to them. When we read some of Paul's letters, he can be a bit blunt. He doesn't mince his words. He doesn't pull his punches. He is really clear when he doesn't think the church is doing things as they should be. He falls out with a guy called Barnabas, who was known as the great encourager. Peter, one of Jesus' closest disciples, Paul calls him out in a letter on some of his theology. There are times in the book of Galatians where people who are preaching about circumcision, Paul says they should go and castrate themselves. This is not a guy who minces his words or plays around in his letters. So if you hear you've got a letter from Paul on your doorstep, how do you feel about that? Are you feeling excited or are you feeling a little apprehensive about what he might be trying to say to you? And as we think about Paul and in Philippians a little bit, but actually reading his letters, sometimes he can come across and we think, oh, I don't know how I feel about that. Oh, that's, that's a bit jarring. And especially with our 21st century eyes. But actually, I think what we see here is a man with such heart. Like I say, writing a letter takes time, energy, effort. It shows love and affection. And that is what we see here. And I think it's amazing. I thank my God every time I remember you. What an amazing thing. We actually see a man who has got so much heart and so much care for these people. And I think it's something really easy to remember because it's so easy to actually caricature Paul a little bit and maybe villainize him a little for some of the things that he writes in his letters. But actually, this is a man with so much heart for these churches that he set up. Andy, when he introduced this letter last week, he used the phrase a few times of Paul sees beyond the bars because he wrote this letter while he was in prison and about how Paul actually looks beyond his immediate circumstances to actually what is bigger, what God is doing and actually finds joy even in his horrible situation. And I think we see some techniques that Paul talks about even in this short passage that we can really take to heart. And the first one of those in this first verse, verse three, he says about remembrance and thanks. Now, the Bible talks a lot about remembering. If you look through the Bible, you see all sorts of techniques of physical reminders that the people would put in place when God had done amazing things. That when they crossed over the river to go to Jericho, God stopped the river from flowing. So the people put rocks in. I think it was one for each tribe that they put in a pile in the middle of the river so that whenever they saw it, they would be like, God did an amazing thing there. And they have festivals as well. You think about Passover. Passover was a physical act that they would do year by year and still happens today to help people remember, wow, God did an amazing thing there. And we see how Passover, Jesus takes it and gives it a new meaning to us, what we call communion. He said, take this and do this in remembrance of me. And we remember, wow, Jesus did an amazing thing there. Because God knows we've got awful memories. We forget so easily, we forget so quickly those amazing, mind-blowing things that God has done for us. We so easily let them pass us by. Sometimes even things that we've been praying to happen, God answers our prayers 
And we almost forget to even thank him in the instant, let alone remembering things in our past that God has done, where God has been close to us. I've been in, in all sorts of Bible studies and places where people say, oh, has anyone got anything to share of what God has been doing? And I think, no, in my entire life, I cannot remember a single thing that God has done. And that's not because God hasn't been incredibly active in my life, but it's because I have got an awful memory. Now, Paul doesn't say, to be fair, how often he remembers them, once in the last five years, but we get the impression it was more often than that. And so Paul remembers, and his isn't necessarily a physical act, it isn't like communion or piling up stones, but he links remembering with thanksgiving. When I remember you, I give thanks to God for you. What an amazing way to go beyond the immediate circumstances, to look beyond the bars. Thanksgiving takes Paul beyond, oh, this is miserable, to, wow, these people, I remember partnering with them. I remember sharing with them. So I give thanks to God for that. This is something I've been really challenged with over the last couple of weeks while I've been thinking through this passage, thinking about the people who have had a real impact in my life, the people who've spurred me on in my faith, people who've taught me so much, people who've kicked me up the backside when I've needed it. And actually, I've been challenged when I think of those people, not just to let those thoughts pass me by, but to give thanks to God for the impact that people have had on my life. And I want to go further, and this is my poor organisation skills and probably bad letter writing skills. I actually want to write a letter to some of these people to thank them for what they've done for me. Actually acknowledge the sacrifice that some people have made for me in the way that they have encouraged me, spurred me on in my faith. And I think that's something that all of us can do. I hope all of you can think about some of the people in your life who have had an impact whether from a long time ago or more recently. And at the very least, give thanks for God. Remember these people, give thanks to God for what they've done. And maybe actually go further to encourage them as well. I said, I wonder how the Church of Philippi felt knowing they received a letter from Paul. But can you imagine their joy as they read this opening passage that Paul, an absolute warrior in the faith, he looks to them and he thinks of them And he's filled with joy. He's filled with thanksgiving because of them. I mean, what an encouraging thing to receive as a church. What an amazing thing that must have been for them. And I'm not trying to claim that I'm like Paul. If I do write these letters or write emails to people to thank them, I mean, I am amazing, but maybe not quite on the level of Paul. But I think I can still encourage people and encourage them in their faith by being thankful for what they have done for me. So Paul gives thanks for these people and he gives thanks for their partnership with him. And again, looking beyond the bars, Paul doesn't look at his situation and think, well, I'm in prison. Therefore, no one is preaching the gospel. I was sent out to the Gentiles to preach to them. I'm in prison. Well, that's the end of it. No, Paul says, because of your partnership in the gospel from the very first day until now, Paul doesn't see himself as the be-all and end-all of Christian faith and the good news of Jesus going out into the world. He recognises the importance of this church. I think when it comes to this idea of sharing the faith and sharing the good news, we can fall into a couple of different traps. It might have been that Paul wrote to them saying, you know what, do your very best and when I get out of prison, I'll come and help you out. I'll sort out the mess you've got into. When he writes to them, he doesn't say hello to the church of St. Paul or 
Paul, if he, he wasn't sainted yet, who knows, uh, in Philippi. He doesn't call it his church. No, it's the church of God in Philippi. They're followers of Christ Jesus. He doesn't pick himself up to make him more important than he needs to. But sometimes I think we can do that. Sometimes, at least I know I can. Well, I'm the only Christian that person knows. So all of the weight and responsibility of sharing with them, of evangelizing, falls on me. So I guess I've got to do it. And if it's not me, no one else is going to. No, Paul doesn't see it like that at all. Paul knows that he's in partnership. I sometimes wonder and worry about churches who they've got like a really big charismatic personality leading them. And I'm not denying that God is at work in those churches or that it's God's work that is going on. But I wonder what happens when those big personalities step down from the church or move to different churches. Because if the church is all about one person who's the leader, then where does it go after that? But Paul has no false assumption about his role. He doesn't pretend that it's all about him. No, I'm a partner with you. It's as much about you as it is me. Paul went around setting up all sorts of different churches and he set them up to run on their own. And so we need to remember it's not all about us because ultimately responsibility of people coming to faith comes down to God. It's his good news. He's the one who loves these people even more than we do. And so actually we need to remember that. So that's one side of the trap. But then the other side, I think, is almost from the Philippian side of thinking, well, Paul's in prison. I guess we'll just wait until he gets out and hopefully he'll come and evangelize for us. We can think about professional Christians. We can maybe see people who their full time job is to be an evangelist. Or maybe you look at Andy, who's employed by the church and think, well, you know, he's a professional. So it's his job to share the gospel to share Jesus with people in this community? No, it's yours and mine. It's all of us. We are in partnership, one with each other. And again, I'm not trying to deny the amazing giftings of some of these people who are evangelists or preachers or things like that for a living. But actually, you're the person who's with your family member, with your friend, with your colleague who doesn't know Jesus. Each one of us is a partner and sharing the good news of Jesus wherever we find ourselves day by day. We can't sit around looking for the professionals to come and swoop in and do the work. Actually, it's down to each one of us to share the good news of Jesus wherever we are, that we are partners one with each other. And I find this so encouraging and it lifts a weight from my shoulder that I get to partner with each one of you because I know I have some skills, but I also know I'm atrocious at other things. But I'm sure there are people who fill in the gaps for me and vice versa, that actually we share with one another and we work one with each other in this work of sharing the gospel in this community, letting the love of Jesus be known to all sorts of people in this area. So Paul remembers, he gives thanks, he is in partnership with these people. The thing that really gives him confidence, though, is the fact that it's God's work. It is God who started this thing. Verse six, being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. It's not the gospel of Paul. It's the gospel of Christ Jesus. It's the good news about Jesus. He is the one who started it. And Paul has trust and faith and confidence that God will carry it on. God doesn't start something, then get bored halfway through and say, Eh, that'll do. 
When I was in secondary school, my homework, I would quite often get to the last few sentences and think, eh, that'll do. And I would literally stop mid-sentence. And I'd sort of think, you know what, I've done enough so I won't get in trouble. I might finish it off when I actually get into the classroom. But the amount of times I handed in a piece of homework that just stopped mid-sentence, so I'd get it back with just a big question mark at the end of like, was there an end to this thought? I, by myself, am not necessarily a great finisher of things. Again, if you come to an Andy and I's house, you might see some of my half-finished projects around the house. I am not a good finisher, but we believe and trust in a God who finishes what he starts. I grew up with the idea of evangelism and people coming to faith. There's this idea of conversion. that It was about getting someone to say the magical prayer, say the magic words to become a Christian, And that was them over the finish line, done, dusted, completed. That isn't the end. That is the very beginning of our story as followers of Jesus. It's not a sprint. It's a marathon. It's not about just saying those magical words. It's about living a life as followers of Jesus. It's a strange thing, isn't it? Because we know when we do say that prayer that we are accepted and we are loved and we are in that family of God right there and then. But it is an ongoing work that God does in us by his Holy Spirit. It's not a sprint, it's a marathon. It's about keeping on going. The word disciple, and we are all disciples of Jesus if we follow him, comes from the Latin word, which is about being a learner, someone who learns things. And it's not, I'm a disciple, I learned something. I didn't learn it in the past, therefore done, dusted, completed. It's about continuing to learn, continuing to keep on going, in our learning, in our journey with one another, trusting in the work that God is doing in us. I have a small part of my brain that thinks, oh, I'd love to do a marathon. And then there are the other 99.99% of me that thinks that's an idiotic idea. It's never going to happen. A marathon is something that is hard to complete. Otherwise, we wouldn't congratulate people who've done them. We think you did a marathon, whoop-de-doo. But actually, doing a marathon is something that is hard. A sprint, I could walk 100 meters in not very long, not do myself an injury, not get out of breath, that would be it. But to complete a marathon, you're going to get exhausted. You're going to get blisters on your feet. You might get injuries. It's going to be hard going to keep on going, to get to that finish line. And we know as Christians that sometimes our journey, our walk might be difficult. Paul found himself in jail. He was in prison. It wasn't a good circumstance for him. It wasn't where he wanted to be. But he didn't give up. He didn't stop. And for us, we need to remember, like Paul did, the good work that God has done in our lives in the past. We need to be thankful. Be thankful to God. Look beyond the immediate circumstances and be thankful for what God has done. Remember that we are in partnership with each other. We don't carry this burden alone of walking in this walk of discipleship, actually, we're in this together. And where I am weak, others might be strong. And that's such an amazing thing. And all of this we do because he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. What an amazing promise we all have. I'm going to pray. Lord, thank you so much for this man, Paul, Thank you for his love and for his heart for the church, for your church, Lord. Help us to learn from him, even in his situation, which 
I can't imagine how he must have felt, how frustrated it must have been. But we thank you that he looked beyond that and he knew that you were a God who was still at work even when his situation wasn't great. Lord, help us to live in that example. Help us to be thankful to you for the good things you have done in our lives in the past. And we thank you for your faithfulness to this day. Lord, for people who are in good times right now, I pray that they will put down markers in their lives and help us to remember those things in the future when things are tough. Lord, for those of us who are here today who are in hard times, who are finding things really difficult, help us to remember your faithfulness of the past and to continue to trust in you. Lord, help us to look to one another, to share each other's load, to be in partnership with each other. Thank you that you do not leave us on our own. And ultimately, Lord, we thank you that it is your work that is being done and it is your work in our lives. Holy Spirit, be with us. Continue this work of transformation in us, we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to Words of Welcome. For new episodes and more, please visit welcomebaptistchurch.uk.